Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous conversation is with my friend, Dr. Stephen Gundry. Dr. Gundry is a New York Times bestselling author. He is a cardiac surgeon. He is a wealth of knowledge, and uh, he's the author of The Plant Paradox, which sold, I don't know how many bajillion copies. He's a New York Times bestseller, um, really changed culture's lens on nutrition. And so he is doing it again with his latest book, Unlocking the Keto Code. So the way that he flipped the world's perspective upside down on our thoughts on plants, um, he is now doing that with ketosis and breaking down some of the key fundamentals to get the most out of a ketonic diet, particularly a term that I've learned through him, referred to as mitochondrial uncoupling. And he shares with us in this conversation the key to unlocking the process of mitochondrial uncoupling and what that means, why it matters. Uh, we also get into all the things we do, philosophy, life, the fact that Dr. Gundry is 72, I believe, and is just youthful as the as all get out. Uh, really important. I think it's important to have people in our lives that are truly elders, and I would absolutely put Dr. Gundry into that category. So I'm just so immensely grateful to get to share his life and his perspectives and his experience on this program with y'all today. I wanna thank you guys for leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this. I'd like to read a review from, this is from Ethan Maurice. He says, a physio-philosophic smorgasbord from a dude, dot, 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 five stars. Uh, Aaron Alexander and his online podcast are among my favorite things to be found on the internet. Aaron has grown into a fascinating, deep question asking, unafraid to go there interviewer. His conversation with Bobby Klein, comma, Stephen, and then it got cut off there, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know, Stephen Kotler, maybe be, be that. I uh, recommend listening to Bobby Klein episode. I, I recorded that in Tulum, I don't know, a year ago or something, and, and very interesting, Bobby Klein. All right, that's it. That's all. I hope you guys enjoy this. Thanks for sharing this with your friends. Thanks for implementing the information gained from our guests. I hope you dig this. Let's go. Pow. I want to start off with the question, what, from your perspective, are some of the most common foods that most of us have in our fridge and in our pantry right now that we do not realize, in fact, are uh, causing us pain at a, a cellular level, at a, maybe a joint level? Uh, what are some of those, those the, the usual suspects from Dr. Gundry's lens? Well, in our refrigerator, we probably have some ketchup, which is actually sugar in a bottle, but it has uh, tomatoes. And I can tell you, actually, kind of in your line of work, the number of people who have aches and pains from eating nightshade family vegetables is, is very impressive, particularly when you remove these from their diet. So I'm talking about tomatoes. I'm talking about peppers. Uh, probably everybody's got some form of sriracha in, in their refrigerator or pantry. Most srirachas, unfortunately, are not fermented. Fermented peppers are pretty safe, like Tabasco sauce, and I have no relationship. So that that's a couple of them. Uh, people, particularly in the summer, usually have some corn in the re, in the refrigerator, which is people don't know that if you have gluten sensitivity, wheat sensitivity. My work and others have shown that seventy percent of people who are sensitive to gluten cross react with corn uh, as if they were eating uh, gluten. 
So uh, get get the corn, get the corn tortillas out of out of your pantry or refrigerator. So those those are just a couple things. Hmm. Milk products. Uh, most milk in the United States uh, comes from Holstein cows, the black and white cow. Holstein cows have a lectin-like protein called casein A1 that is a real troublemaker in producing leaky gut. So all those healthy yogurts uh, made in America, uh, for the most part, uh, are pretty poisonous to the wall of your gut. Mm. On the other hand, in this book, I actually tout the benefit of goat and sheep yogurts, goat and sheep kefirs, goat and sheep cheese, as really shockingly one of the best foods that you can eat. Uh, In fact, goat cheeses in particular are, in my new book, the goat of the program. So the book is called Unlocking the Keto Code. The Keto Code. And the ketosis obviously has become a very popular subject over the last several years. And I think it's interesting. One, I'm curious for you, where do you think people are getting keto wrong, if, if anywhere? Well, even even I got keto wrong, and that's actually why I decided to write the book. Uh, I've been using a ketogenic diet for over 20 years with my patients. And in fact, there's a ketogenic version of the plant paradox in, in all my books. And I, like most keto experts, really believe that ketones were some miraculous fuel that we could use to improve performance, have weight loss, make us efficient fat burners. And that's why we lost weight. And in fact, when I was writing The Energy Paradox, my last book, I I wanted to kind of really dive into really the science of why ketones do all this wonderful stuff. And because I like to back up what I say with research. And lo and behold, uh, the published literature from scientists who have worked on ketones all their lives from Harvard and the NIH uh, actually found the exact opposite and that ketones were actually a rather lousy fuel and that ketones did not improve athletic performance and so on and so forth. So I said, well, wait a minute. What about all these good things that people following a ketogenic diet do, including my patients? What's, why is that happening if they're not such this great fuel? And that actually spawned unlocking the keto code because ketones work their magic, not by being some marvelous fuel that makes you a efficient fat burner. Ketones work their magic as a signaling compound that tells mitochondria to, believe it or not, waste fuel rather than being efficient in burning fuel. (laughs) And Ketones literally tell mitochondria to stop being Toyota Priuses and getting every last drop out of a calorie for energy, but instead become Ferraris that, quite frankly, waste fuel. And if you wanted to lose weight, you actually want to tell your mitochondria to do a caloric bypass on you, to literally throw a lot of the calories you eat away. And that's actually the magic of ketones. The second part of that is that it turns out there's a lot of other substances that do exactly the same thing to mitochondria. And that's the exciting thing because you do not have to follow a high fat diet to achieve the benefits of a ketogenic diet. And when I 
discovered this and tried it out on my patients, uh, it was one of those eureka moments that you know said, I got to write a book about this. So I talked my publishers into it. They said, no, no, no. And I said, no, no we got to do this. So that's the unlocking the keto code. So is the term for that mitochondrial uncoupling? Is that what's happening? It is. That? It is indeed. And it's a little hard to explain. I wish somebody had thought of a different word, but mitochondrial uncoupling was actually first described in 1978. And simplistically, I think the easiest way to explain it is making energy, making ATP in the electron transport chain in mitochondria is really damaging to mitochondria. People have heard of reactive oxygen species. People have heard of free radicals. And these are part and parcel of the process of taking sugar or fat or proteins and converting it into ATP in mitochondria. And it's very damaging. And mitochondria have a couple of antioxidants that help with this. There's actually only two antioxidants that work in mitochondria. Melatonin, yes, melatonin, the sleep hormone, and glutathione. So what mitochondria do to protect themselves is very much like a pressure cooker that has a pop-off valve. When the pressure gets too high in a pressure cooker, and it's basically ready to explode, you got to have a little jiggly pop-off valve that lets off steam, lets off pressure. It was discovered in 1978 that mitochondria have literally five uh, pressure cooker pop-off valves in the electron transport chain. And these are called uncoupling proteins. They control these pop-off valves. And what's shocking, and I didn't know this, that at rest, 30% of all the calories that enter a mitochondria are popped off, are uncoupled from making ATP at rest. So 30% of all the calories we eat are literally wasted at rest. And even more so in other conditions that we talk about in the book. And so this is a built-in mechanism to protect mitochondria. And it turns out the more these pressure valves are opened in mitochondria, the better mitochondria perform in the long run, the more mitochondria are made, and the more repair work in mitochondria. And shockingly, if you look at super old people who are thriving in their late 90s, early 100s, who are performing what you do every day at 105, and there are people who could keep up with you, uh, not me, but you know, I try, they have the most uncoupled mitochondria. They have the most pressure release valves in their mitochondria. So the whole book is, okay, if we know opening these pressure these pressure relief valves are good for you, and believe it or not, that's how ketones work, then how do we do this on a daily basis? That's the book. So one, I'd, I'd love to touch on specific foods that support this process. And then also in relation to centurions, and didn't you used to live in Loma Linda? Or yep. Yeah, I spent most of my career in Loma Linda, correct? Yeah. It, I'm actually... I'm the only nutritionist who's actually spent most of their life in, in a blue actually zone. In a, actually in a blue zone. And one of the things that I've, I've read that's consistent among the blue zones, which term coined from Dan Butner, is the low inflammation 
with people. And that's like a consistent, there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of potential variables there, but that's one consistent trend that I've read. I don't, you know, I haven't met a lot of people from Loma Linda or from Japan or from Italy in this, in this specific spots. Uh, but I wonder one is, is that accurate from your perception? And, and two, is there some association with this mitochondrial stuff and systemic inflammation? So, um, Hippocrates 2,500 years ago said all disease begins in the gut. And uh, Alessio Fasano, who's now at Harvard, and I have rephrased that to say all disease begins in a leaky gut. And um, actually, one of my patients, uh, who is a, a Buddhist scholar, actually yesterday told me that uh, after he was listening to me talking about Hippocrates, he looked into some ancient uh, Sanskrit text from the Buddha. He actually went to the Library of Congress, and lo and behold, the Buddha has said that the path to enlightenment is through the intestines. And holy cow. So, And they were actually contemporaries, obviously, East and West. But it's interesting that these great thinkers somehow knew what we now know through sophisticated tests, that all disease begins in the gut. And Sounds like all enlightenment comes from the gut. So getting back to your question about inflammation, as I talked about in my last book, inflammation at its source comes from leaky gut. And if you have an intact intestinal wall, uh, it is impossible to produce inflammation. Hmm. And so people talk about anti-inflammatory foods uh, or anti-inflammatory supplements, but in fact, Uh, From California, we know that fighting a forest fire with a garden hose is not going to work. And yet, these anti-inflammatory foods, if you have leaky gut, are literally fighting inflammation with a garden hose. So my career has been spent teaching people how to prevent leaky gut in the first place, but more importantly, how to heal leaky gut. And then we see all of these inflammatory conditions uh, subside and go into remission, including autoimmune diseases. Hmm. I wonder, following the same analogy with with forest fires, I wonder if there's some value in respecting inflammation as a process that the body's communicating or, or intentionally trying to kill off some type of bacteria or you know whatever whatever or some injury or. You know, I think there there could be something a deeper conversation within inflammation of, of developing maybe like a healthier relationship with it as opposed to it just being like binary good bad. Well, inflammation uh, originally uh, was our way of taking care of bacteria and viruses that would attack us, and that was the original design of our immune system. Uh, unfortunately. I guess the designers could never imagine that uh, the immune system would be called upon to attack uh, other substances, such as, you know, my favorite subject, lectins, but it doesn't have to be. It can be bacterial pieces and actually pieces of whole, whole food that might be good for us, but that if you have a leaky gut, spaces between the walls of the cells of the intestine, literally particles of whole food can get across the wall of the gut and your immune system. Uh, let's just take broccoli, for instance. Great for you, by the way, folks. But if you have leaky gut 
and I see this a number of times with my patients with autoimmune diseases, potentially a piece of broccoli can go across the wall of your gut and your immune system goes, what the heck? I've, I've never seen a piece of broccoli before in my life that's foreign to me. And if it's foreign, I'm going to remember it. I'm going to attack it. And if I ever see broccoli again, you know, I'm going to go at it with inflammation. And so sometimes, not always, some of our, quote, healthiest foods, if we have leaky gut from other causes, can actually perpetuate the problem. Yeah. Since food sensitivity testing has become available, it's been you know, a real eye-opener as to why people eating potentially healthy foods can still have a real issue. I'm going to take a moment and share one of my favorite bedtime traditions that is making a coconut latte evening beverage with Organifi's Gold Rest and Relaxation Blend, which contains cinnamon, turmeric, uh, reishi, turkey tail, a whole blend of adaptogenic mushrooms supportive for muscular repair, healing, a restful night's sleep, and it tastes freaking delicious. I really love this stuff. I'm excited to share it with you guys. You can get yourself a discount by going over to Organifi. Organifi.com forward slash align. You get yourself 20% off. So Organifi is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash align. Everything they make is the absolute top quality, top of the line, and uh, I am a fan. So I'm really excited to be collaborating with Organifi. Jump over to Organifi.com forward slash align for 20% off your purchase. The next thing that I take every single night before bed is magnesium from Bio Optimizers. Mag Breakthrough is my favorite magnesium supplement. That's right, it's my favorite. It tastes delicious, which is kind of strange, but I actually eat the capsule to see how it tastes and I enjoy it. it. Contains all seven different forms of magnesium. And the reason that this is valuable is magnesium is largely deficient in modern day soil. So if you're interested in a deep, restful night's sleep, muscular repair, and a general sensation of relaxation at the end of the day, I highly recommend utilizing magnesium from Mag Breakthrough. Get yourself a sweet discount by going over to magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com forward slash align podcast. Get yourself a discount. If you do not absolutely love this stuff, it does not improve your sleep. Get your money back. No questions asked. Jump over. Try it out. I know it's going to make a difference for you. That's magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. I wonder from your perspective, if there's some way to look at the, the body and the gut from more of like a, like a terrain theory lens, you know, and, that's and what so, it is. Yeah. And it's just, just some bodies, it seems like you could just put almost anything into them. And it's, it's just like this, you know, forest fire, you just throw it in and whoosh, it burns it. I was like, wow, like, huh. Then someone else, you know, it's, you could throw almost anything else into their system and it's like a full breakdown. And so I wonder if there's something to like, what do you, what do you think about that? There's just, there's some way to create more robusticity within the terrain to be able to process a broader range of foods in quotations, because food oh, yeah, is a relative, a relative word as well. Yeah. You know, Walter Longo uh, at USC and I, we agree on a lot and certain things we disagree with about, and that is he's not as concerned about lectins as I am. He eats a lot of beans. Uh, he eats pasta every night. He's Italian. And yet he, we just did a podcast recently, and I had him on my Dr. Gundry podcast, and he admitted that 
look, uh, these societies, these, for instance, blue zones, in general, have, have not been exposed to massive antibiotics like Americans, both taking individual and in the animals that we eat uh, are given antibiotics, and we then get those antibiotics, and the antibiotics decimate our microbiome. Uh, these places are not exposed to Roundup uh, glyphosate. And we now know that glyphosate kills bacteria. It was actually patented as an antibiotic, um, by the way. But it also individually can cause leaky gut. And these people are not exposed to non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like the leave and Advil. And so these guys have a great microbiome. And we know from multiple studies that the more diverse your microbiome, the more you have bacterial and fungal species that actually love to eat the troublemaking compounds that you swallow. I mean, there's actually a bacteria that enjoys eating gluten, uh, believe it or not. Most of us don't have that bacteria. And there's bacteria that literally uh, build up a wall of defense in our gut wall, uh, Acromancia mucinophila, that I've written a lot about. It's now finally available as a probiotic. So yeah, these people have, you know, they have a, to use a football analogy, they've got an incredible all-star defensive line. And so you can throw a lot of, you know, great football players at it, but they're going to stop it. On the other hand, uh, we, uh, the Western world now, we not only have an all-star defensive line, we're actually calling people down from the stands uh, or the water boys come out to, to, to help to help this line. And I think that actually does explain a lot of why certain cultures seem to be able to tolerate foods that we can't. And I'll give you an example. I, I see uh, about 80% of my practice now is autoimmune disease that, quite frankly, nobody else has been able to figure out. And we'll have a number of these people who we, we get rid of their autoimmune disease. You choose it, Crohn's, uh, lupus, psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, MS. And they go into remission, and then they go over, I'll just use Italy for an example, and they're feeling great, and they have the pasta over there, they have the tomato sauce over there, they have the bread, and then they, can, and they don't react. They go, wow, you know, gee, I'm cured. I can have these foods that Dr. Gundry took away from me. And they're, you know, they're really happy, and they come back and start eating these foods here in America. And within two weeks, their their autoimmune disease is back, and they you know they call me up and they go, "What the heck? You know, I thought you know I thought I was cured." They said, "No, no, no. You you ate their food. You came back here, and you were immediately hit with our glyphosate, the antibiotics in our animals. All of our grain products have been sprayed with glyphosate. Oh, and it doesn't appear on the label." Our wines have glyphosate in them. Our wines have Roundup. And so, you know, it's, it's no wonder that, we, you know, we're set up for disease. Yeah. And just so that everybody knows, sickness is really good for business. So what uh, we had, uh, I did a conversation with Dr. Zach Bush a few months yeah. ago, and that's like, this is a, you know, a specific topic that he's immensely passionate about, glyphosate in particular. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, from your perspective, what are some of the, the best tips or tools to start to reverse the damage and, and you know start to cultivate 
the our, our terrain uh, and kind of reverse the effect of the glyphosate and the, the various different pesticides and such that we've kind of been just stewing in since we're we've been children. Yeah, he and I actually are both uh, big fans of shalagit or humic uh, acid, which is this kind of funky black stuff that grows on Himalayan rocks, which is actually full of micronutrients. And uh, he has products for it. I have products for it. So I think that's a a very useful thing to use. I think there's also some evidence that uh, glyphosate uh, likes to substitute for glycine uh, molecules in our DNA. And there's some interesting evidence that we can flood our system with glycine, an amino acid. I take personally three grams of glycine every night, uh, along with uh, NAC and acetylcysteine, and I have for years. Uh, So I think that's a protective mechanism. So those are just a couple of things. The other things that are obvious, please, please, please buy organic or biodynamic foods, biodynamic or organic wines. Luckily, most of the wines in Europe, particularly France, Italy, Austria, are increasingly uh, biodynamic or organic, and they don't use Roundup between the vines. A few years ago, I had the pleasure of talking with Robert Mondavi, uh, the son, and you know he said that it took Mondavi's vineyards 10 years to wean themselves off the pesticides and herbicides that they were spraying their vineyards with. It took them 10 years to get everything out of the vineyard. That's pretty doggone scary. I want to, so I want to keep digging into, I I think like the baseline, the foundation of repairing our guts. And, uh, but a part of that, that I think is really interesting is the association to our, our gut health with our, our mood and, you know, our perspective on the world. And like, yes. even getting into like, I mean, this is gets into, you know, pretty metaphysical new age weeds, but you know, do our gut bugs have consciousness and does that consciousness impact, you know, our thoughts and our feelings. And, you know, you get into like toxoplasmosis and exactly. cat parasites hacking the brains of, of mice and causing them to be attracted to the smell of cat urine. And it's like, you know, who's running this show? <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. In fact, Robert Sapolsky, uh, I gave a shout out to him in my first book, uh, Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution, long ago. He was a big influence actually on me in, in college and my research. And for anyone who, who hasn't pulled up Robert Sapolsky's YouTube on uh, toxoplasmosis, and I think what you're alluding to is in fact this little one cell organism can completely rewire our brain, uh, believe it or not, the, the U.S. Army investigated whether they should infect troops with toxoplasmosis so that they would actually run towards danger. We know that the vast majority of motorcyclists involved in fatal crashes are infected with toxoplasmosis. Particularly, which, particularly Brazil. Is that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and again, uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, who's become a friend of mine, you know, one of the, one of the great psychiatrists now, uh, I think, pitches and believes that we really should probably get rid of the word mental illness and begin to focus on gut dysbiosis and gut health as actually where, you know, these problems not only stem from, but where the the treatment is, where the cure is. Hmm. 
In fact, uh, as I wrote in my last book, there's really strong evidence that these antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs probably work whatever magic they do by changing the gut microbiome into a better flora. So it, it may have nothing to do with you know this brain, but have more and more to do with the second brain, which uh, is down in our gut. And unfortunately, we're really, we're just too conceited to think that you know, one cell organisms can have that much effect on us. Yet we know, for instance, we know that people with what I call gang member bugs, bad bugs in their gut, these obesogenic bacteria actually send text messages to the brain to have you seek out the foods that they want to eat, which is simple sugars and saturated fats. And they, in turn, actually extract more calories from those foods and pass them on to you. And I see so many people that it's, you know, they can't help themselves, even though their higher brain says, oh, no, I, you know, couldn't eat that, don't eat that, and, and then just, you know, find themselves stuffing themselves, and I, it, I'm out of control. Well, it's because of this influence, and the more we begin to recognize that, I think the more we can believe that probably the most important organ in, in us was not known about until 12 years ago when the Human Microbiome Project was completed. I mean, these guys have a stake in us. And the more we understand how they work, and a lot of my last two books, three books, have been on teaching people, okay, here's, here's how these guys work. Here's what we need to do to feed them the good stuff so that they will actually take care of us. It seems like there's, there's so many really apparent metaphors of uh, like, like politics in, within our guts. You know, it seems like a lot of what's I think would be relevant would be to actually find a state of self-sovereignty, you know, of having like, 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 am I making my decisions for me or is there some evil, you know, fascist dictator that's governing me and I have this like Stockholm syndrome of sorts and there's like this whole battle of what's going on. But I, I think that everyone knows what to do for the most part. Right. It's it's just a matter of actually choosing to do the thing with with you know consistency and, and cultivating that muscle and that habit to you know to to build a stronger foundation and build a you know build like a you know a more ideal life you know an ideal partner an ideal food in your fridge and work and you know thoughts but it's like it's it's hacking back and coming down to that root of 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 like who's running the show you know and I th I think there's a lot of different angles to come at it from but I think nutrition is is definitely a really important spoke in there you know do, do you have any thoughts on that in general yeah and, and let me backtrack for a second you you mentioned stress and uh stress is fascinating a extremely stressful event can actually cause leaky gut a number of particularly my female patients can can name the day or the period of their life when their autoimmune disease started. Sometimes it's a you know a tragic, sudden death of a loved one. Sometimes it's a divorce. Sometimes it's a, it's a move. Recently, uh, I saw a, um, a psychologist, a practicing psychologist, who fell in love later in life and moved 
let's just say with her new spouse to what I would call a godforsaken place. And she went from this happy, healthy, energetic person over the course of two years to this anxious, depressed, insomniac, gained 40 pounds. And, you know, she could, and she dearly loves her husband uh, and won't change any of that. But she's actually finally come to the realization that, holy cow, you know, this, this new life is is killing me, but I love my husband so much. And, uh, but yeah, so this was a perfect example. And when we look at her gut, I mean, she now has several autoimmune diseases. She's got wide open leaky gut. And really the, the event was this sudden move out of her comfort zone into something that she doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah. It feels, it feels like there's opportunity for a convergence of nutritional therapy and talk therapy and manual therapy and physical therapy. And like, they're, they're all, it's, you know, it's like different religions. They're all kind of maybe, or maybe different languages saying the same sentences, but in different languages. And then we become dogmatic, you know, about our team and our tribe. But I feel like there's, there's an opportunity really for all of these to interconnect, you know, and, and work together. And, and I think that, you know, Hippocrates, like, let food be thy medicine. I think there is a the opportunity to kind of have food be also like spiritual, mental, emotional, you know, foundational for strength and flexibility and longevity. But it's it's not just, you know, to, to build up bigger muscles. Fuel. Yeah. Right. No, you're right. In, the, in my last book, The Energy Paradox, I spent a whole chapter looking at people who practice meditation or who do yoga. And human studies controlled actually show that your gut microbiome actually changes for the better quite dramatically with both meditation and with yoga. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're beginning to, again, you're right. All of these things are interconnected. And the more we bring these various modalities into play, the better, better we're going to be. And like I remind anyone, this is the only house I'm ever going to live in. My, my body, as far as I know. Um, hope, hopefully, if I come back, I'm coming back as one of my dogs, but that's another subject. But this is it. And, you know, if we spent, and you know this, uh, if we spent the amount of time taking care of this house that we do with our other possessions, like our house, like our car, our clothes, imagine what we could accomplish. Yeah. Somehow it it just doesn't relate that this is it, folks. This is all you get. Good luck. So coming in at at your book, Unlocking the Keto Code, from that lens of nutritional therapy and you know, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's kind of that's too too fluffy of a word. But yeah, but so to, to come at it like as a from a therapeutic approach to regain sovereignty again, more maybe potential outlandish fluffy fluffy language. But what do you think would be the effects of mental, emotional, like better decision-making, things of the sort from the Unlocking the Keto Code approach? Well, I think the exciting thing about Unlocking the Keto Code is that there are some really easily applied techniques to really extend your health span, your lifespan, and some of them are really easy to institute. Uh, One that Almost anybody can do if uh, if I hold your hand and teach you how to do it is intermittent fasting or time restricted eating, and it's a it's a powerful powerful tool that 
I'll give you a great example. Just let's take weight loss, which many people do the ketogenic diet for weight loss. Well, you can take Italian athletes, cyclists, and you can put them on a training table for three months where everybody has to eat the same food. And you divide them into two groups. Uh, one group eats in a 12-hour eating window. What that means is they have breakfast at 8 o'clock in the morning, they have lunch at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and they finish dinner at 8 o'clock at night. So that's a 12-hour eating window. And then there's a 12-hour not eating window, most of which is you're asleep. Then you take the same you know, athletes, but they go to a seven-hour eating window. They have breakfast, break fast, at one o'clock in the afternoon. They have lunch at four o'clock in the afternoon, and they have to finish dinner by eight o'clock, seven-hour eating window. You compare them over three months. They're eating the exact same amount of food, the exact same food. The athletes on the seven-hour eating window lose weight, build muscle, and their insulin-like growth factor, IGF-1, which is still the best marker we have of slowing aging, plummets. The group eating the same food, except at a 12-hour window, have none of those benefits. So if you wanted to do kind of one thing, which is easy to do, and in the book, I hold your hand and say, okay, I'm not going to have you start eating lunch at one o'clock if you're used to eating breakfast at 7 a.m. What I'm going to ask you to do is one hour a week, just kick your breakfast one hour later. And we're going to do that over five weeks. And guess what? You get to take the weekend off because there's really cool studies that show if you do this five days a week and take the weekends off, you'll get the same benefit as if you were doing it seven days a week. So, you know, you want to have breakfast with the family on the weekend, et cetera, et cetera, go right ahead. But it's a very powerful tool and it actually works by, uh, believe it or not, uncoupling mitochondria, releasing the pressure valve on mitochondria. There's other more important things. We got to feed the good gut bugs what they want to eat. And what they want to eat is prebiotic fiber, undigestible fiber, soluble fiber in plants. And it's actually easy to do. There's oodles of different plants that have lots of prebiotic fiber, particularly like asparagus, for instance, uh, onions and leeks and garlic. I love the chicory family of vegetables, radicchio, frisee, Belgian endive, chicory. These are great prebiotic fiber vegetables. If you don't want to do that, grind up some organic flax seeds every day and mix it in water and drink it. An easy way to do it. Get yourself some psyllium powder. Uh, put it in a smoothie, put it in some yogurt. Easy way to do it. There's a great study recently out of the University of uh, Stanford University looking at two groups of people. They gave them prebiotic fiber. One group just got prebiotic fiber. The other group got the prebiotic fiber in the form of fermented foods, like sauerkraut. Give me an example. Turns out the fermented food group had more diverse microbiome and less inflammation, getting back to the original topic, than just giving them prebiotic fiber. So then you go, well, why is that? And in the book, it turns out that fermentation uh, produces a short-chain fatty acid called acetic acid. Uh, most people know acetic acid as vinegar. And it turns out that vinegar actually uncouples mitochondria. 
So apple cider vinegar, if you do it right, makes you lose weight, not because of some magical, mystical thing, but by actually uncoupling your mitochondria and making them do a caloric bypass on the food you eat. So all of this stuff kind of comes together in easy to do things. The third thing that I think is fascinating and getting back to blue zones, it turns out that goat and sheep milk and goat and sheep milk products, 30% of the calories in goat and sheep milk are actually medium chain triglycerides, MCTs. And everybody hopefully knows that MCTs are one of the best ways to generate ketones in your liver, no matter what you're eating. And there's two fascinating papers looking at two blue zones, the Nagoya Peninsula in Costa Rica and the mountainous region in Sardinia. And it turns out that the only blue zone in Sardinia is up in the mountains. The folks living down by the sea don't have extended longevity. So then you go, well, gee, what are they eating? Now, Dan would tell you they're eating lots of grains and beans. And it's true. They do eat a lot of grains and beans. But what's different is that they eat primarily goat and sheep cheese because they're goat and sheep herders. And so it's actually the goat and sheep cheese that's uncoupling their mitochondria that makes them live longer. So now you go to the Nagoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. Now, Costa Ricans eat a lot of beans and corn throughout Costa Rica. So what makes this little area so different? In fact, it's their goat and sheep herders, and they eat a lot of goat and sheep cheese. And there's a beautiful paper that says, hey guys, it's not the beans and corn they're eating, it's the goat and sheep cheese that they're eating that actually prevents the damage or undoes the damage of the corn and bean eating. So here's two blue zones that it's goat and sheep cheese that actually makes the difference. I'm going to take a moment and share what I consider to be one of the best probiotics on the market. That is Seed. I really dig this company. Seed's Daily Symbiotic is a pre and probiotic two-in-one capsule. It supports your gut health, your skin health, and a whole plethora of more functions in your body. There are 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains, the first of its kind, not to mention they are sustainably delivered every month. In your first purchase, you'll get a glass jar that is infinitely refillable. Your monthly refills are delivered in composed biodegradable and recyclable packaging. I appreciate that so much. It really is a beautiful experience using Seed's products. Um, I have enjoyed this stuff for the last year. I've been taking Seed off and on, and when I'm taking it, I do notice a, a quality change in my skin, in my energy, in my digestion, and I think you guys are gonna dig it. So jump over to seed.com slash align for 15% off. That's Seed, S-E-E-D.com forward slash align 15% off if you don't love it once again no questions asked money back guarantee so you got nothing to lose and uh, your whole microflora to gain so enjoy jump over to seed.com forward slash align i wonder if there could be some type of you're familiar with the term entourage effect with with food i, mm -hmm. I think when you're, you're like eating a whole food, whatever it is, you know, a, 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 an orange instead of taking a vitamin C supplement or a lemon, that there's other constituents of that food that actually allow your body to be, or allow that nutrient to become more bioavailable and allow your, your body to be able to assimilate it. I wonder if there is, there could be some type of entourage effect of sorts 
with um, in relation to a person's environment and in relation to a person's you know just environment you know and, and all of the things that would encompass the environment have you ever thought about that oh yeah i mean uh, i've had the pleasure of living in a blue zone and i've visited a number of the blue zones including some that dan hasn't mentioned but one of the things that's interesting about most blue zones is that they live in hilly communities loma linda is actually beautiful hill in spanish and all of these people walk up and down hills with walk against gravity uh, for all of their lives. And I think that's pretty interesting. The Echirolians south of Naples live in a very hilly community. So walking against gravity is extremely important. The other thing that I think all of us agree on is that most of these communities are extremely close-knit. Uh, certainly the Adventist community in Loma Linda is profoundly close-knit. And it's this, if you want to call it spiritual connection, that's fine with me, but a connection to other people and a connection to the town uh, is uh, really interesting. There's books uh, written about listening to centenarians, you know, why are they still alive? And a number of them say, you know, it's my responsibility to teach others, you know, what, what I've learned in my life. Uh, you know, I can't die because I'm, you know, the depository of this information. And sadly, most of these communities, they revere their elders and their elders are literally put up on a pedestal instead of put in, being put into a nursing home. Yeah. So, I think those are all important. Yeah, we just, yesterday, I believe I recorded a conversation with, her name's Dr. Becca Levy, and she's a a professor at Yale. She has a book coming out around ageism and the effect of our our perception of the story of what, what it means to grow old. And she had mentioned an interesting study that she had actually conducted that suggests that people's beliefs around age, and there was like a longitudinal study, I think it was like 20, 20 some years. They had the belief that as I age, like life gets better, life gets worse, or, you know, life just kind of stays the same. If they have the belief that life, man, I just, just keep getting better, baby. That belief would actually, within those groups, they would end up living, it was like on average 7.5 years longer, and they would have significantly less incidence of cardiovascular disease. And it's very interesting the way that our our perception really forms. I think we like to be able to hang our hat on something that we can, you know, some material that we can hold in our hand. I feel like there's there's a lot going on, like the the fabric holding those materials together, like the invisible parts. I feel like have you know a lot of leverage as well. Yeah, I think another thing that, and actually, uh, I was uh, lucky enough uh, to live in a fairly close knit uh, family community in Omaha, Nebraska, growing up, and my my great grandmother uh, passed away two months before Hunter's birthday, but several of my great uncles and aunts have lived to 102, 104. My uncle is currently, I think, celebrating his 95th birthday, and he still sails his 40-foot boat and literally climbs up on the mast to adjust the sails. And I personally think he's an idiot, but no, he's really smart. But my grandmother, for instance, my great-grandmother, she lived in a three-story house, and her bedroom was on the third floor. And to the day she died, she climbed those three stairs, uh, three flights of stairs multiple times. And my sister and I, every time we'd visit her, saying, you know, Grandma, what are you doing that for? Why don't you, you know, move down to the first floor? And she, oh, you know, that's my bedroom. That's, you know, that's where I, that's where I sleep. That's where I change. So, you, and you look at these people, uh, and these people actually have what I call 
optimistic pessimism. And by that, they know that bad things are going to happen throughout their life. But they have the ability to shrug and basically say, yeah, okay, so what? Let's move on. Rather than dwelling on that, and, and all of my you know super old family members, that was really a continuing theme. And I think it came out of, you know, their their life experience. And, you know, my parents lived through the depression and you know, so did my great grandparents. And I think this ability to just, you know, suck it up and say, yeah, that happened and move on. I, I really do think it's, it's a continuing theme in longevity. Yeah. And then where that, where my mind goes with that is, is it's kind of like having chronic inflammation. Or your 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 body at a deeper level, it's like it just keeps on pouring it on. It's like, oh man, the problems and the issue, like life is hard. We got to defend, you know. So it's like as above, so below. You know, I think it's very true. I think it's an interesting thing. So something I appreciate about your work, one is just I, I think you you're a really authentic, like kind human. Like you exude that. Yeah, I really appreciate just getting to share time with you. But the other thing that I appreciate about it is you're not you provide options for people as opposed to just saying like this is just this is just a no and one of those examples would be in in, in contrast to like say like a carnivore diet you know where it's like okay all you can eat is chicken liver and apples you know everything else is problematic i think it's it's valuable to say okay like this is problematic in this state but if you ferment it if you pressure cook it you know there's there's ways that we can help make it more bioavailable it's not just this binary yes no you know, and so is that something that you, I would love to just touch on that concept in general, but is that something that you touch on in the Unlocking the Keto Code at all? Or is there any like new tips or tricks in there? Oh yeah, we've got, you know, we've got so many tricks, biohacking. Um, we haven't even touched on the benefit of eating polyphenol rich foods. Right. And it turns out that polyphenols in, in and of themselves uncouple mitochondria. But you're right, you know, I still, I'm about to turn 72. I see patients six days a week. On the seventh day, I'm at Gundry MD, so I work seven days a week. Why? Because I guess curiosity just drives me crazy, and I learn every day from my patients. And, you know, I, I see them every three months. I draw blood on them. We find out, okay, let's, let's negotiate. Let's try something for three months. Let's add a supplement that you can get at Costco or something, and let's see what happens. I'll give you a perfect example of my ability to negotiate. Uh, I saw uh, a gentleman who came in from the Reno area, drove seven hours just to see me. Um, he's got leaky gut. He's got two autoimmune diseases, but and we know he reacts to gluten, wheat, and he's a beer drinker. He started drinking beer. He told me when. He was like 10 years old uh, in his father's car, or long story short. He loves two beers a day. He knows he shouldn't, but he's not going to change. And we started talking. I said, look, you know, beer's got gluten. I'm sorry. We, we got to get rid of it. He says, ah. I said, look, you got, you know, you got two autoimmune diseases. You're here because of, you know, all this inflammation. You got a C-reactive protein, a CRP, a 10, and you're here because you want to get rid of it. Let's give up the beer. 
And he says, because I follow everything you want, but I can't give up the beer. And we went round and round. He said, yeah, come on, red wine will do. And he said, no, I get a headache. And I said, how about rosé wine? He said, no, yeah, that's girly stuff. So finally, I said, wait a minute. I got a trick we're going to try. There's a supplement that it's placebo controlled in humans that breaks gluten into less harmful particles. And I don't make it, but I said, I'll tell you what, let's do an experiment. Keep drinking your beer, but before every beer, I want you to take this capsule and we'll see. Don't change anything else. And he said, really? I said, look, you got to have something that you can live with literally and figuratively. And if this is the trick that'll do it, uh, who am I to, you know, say, you can't have beer? Yeah. Do I think he shouldn't have beer? Yeah. But I'm willing to negotiate because after all, I'm looking out for him. And so there's an example. What do, what do you think of the carnivore dogma, nutritional dogma? Because I, I know that and I know that you have thoughts on fruits and kind of like the adulteration of fruits throughout the years where it's like it's a banana wasn't what a banana once was an apple wasn't what a banana what an apple once was it's kind of like and i think it's that that gets interesting as well as i was reflecting on this this morning of human beings i think we think of ourselves as being done but in fact we're like right in the thick of evolution you know it's and the direction oh, yeah i mean we're we're you know we're blinking the eye in evolution yeah um you know but but so so yeah there's a lot yeah, of things there well, but i guess the main thing there's a lot be- of things there uh some people have accused me of being the father of the carnivore diet because the, the carnivore jo- diet in general uh takes away lectin containing foods right. and there's a lot to say that the paleo diet in general took away lectin containing foods the original atkins diet took away lectin containing foods and I've argued for years that the benefits of these diets were removing lectin-containing foods. So by natural extension, the carnivore diet is an elimination diet, the ultimate elimination diet. And it does work short term. And some of my patients have used it to success. But a great number of my patients, when they've explored this for three to six months, we begin to see very actually common changes in inflammation in their blood vessels, stiffening of their blood vessels. And even though these people say, gee, I feel the best I've ever felt, when we kind of start tracking them over time, we say, whoa, you know, this this marker of damage to your blood vessels is coming up and up. And this marker of uh, cholesterol becoming sticky and rancid is coming up and up. I think we need to readjust here. So I, I don't have anything against it short term, but there's a lot not to like about it long term. The other thing, speaking of fruit, sadly, fruit has been bred for sugar content. Uh, just look at an apple. When I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, an apple was you know almost the size of a cranberry, a cran apple. Now they were small. You could finish an apple in four bites. Now we've got, you know, honey crisps and ambrosia and the names give it away. And I I did this little thing for myself. I bought some mini apples at Whole Food, which were the size of apples I had growing up. And you could get about six mini apples stacked around to equal one honey crisp apple now. And yet people say, oh, I, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. There's more sugar in a normal apple now than in a Hershey's candy bar. There's more sugar in a cup of grapes now than a Hershey's candy bar. 
these are no longer health foods. And the other thing we forget is that we didn't have fruit 365 days a year, and now we do. And we were never designed to have fruit 365 days a year. Great apes only gain weight during fruit season, and fruit season does not happen year-round in the jungle. In fact, I have a book up here on the top shelf all about, I mean, it's a huge book about how great apes use fruit to gain weight. And they do it because we convert the fructose in fruit, just like they do, into fat. And that was good for us way back when, because we didn't know when our next meal was coming. I got news for you. We know when our next meal is coming. It's in a couple hours. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to wrap this thing up. I so greatly appreciate you. Uh, and the, the reason that I, I, I mentioned that humans aren't done evolving is I think it'd be interesting to see what the human species looks like in the you know in the next thousand years 500 years 100 years and i think that that the I, the concept or idea that evolution if it's newer it's just better i think it's interesting to contrast that with fruit and you know what is it now compared to what has it become is it for the ultimate betterment you know is the evolution of humans and where we're going for the ultimate betterment i don't know but Thanks so well, much. We'll address oh, that boy. another day. Yeah, another, another, <laughs> another, another day, another day. But yeah, man, thank you so much. So unlocking the keto code, the revolutionary science of keto that offers more benefits without deprivation is out March 8th. Is that correct? 8th, correct. Cool. Yep. And, and it's up for, this will go out around that time, but if it's not out yet, it's up for pre-sale. Uh, is there anything else to... No, you can find me uh, at com, GundryMD.com, the Dr. Gundry Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, two YouTube channels, Instagram, the et cetera, et cetera. You're 72? I'm 72. That's cool. Not bad. That's not, not bad. bad. That's not bad. Not bad. Uh, so, so, yeah, you have a sprightly way about you at 72, which is very, very cool. I, um, I think that's, it's like, it's like, you got to look at the source of the information and there's a lot of sources that are saying a lot of sciencey terms and it seems like they really, they have all the research and all the empirical evidence, but like, there's still something kind of suspicious about the, the actual, the biological vehicle presenting the information and you got a good biological vehicle. Dr. Well, <laughs> thank you. you know, if you're, if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk is all I can say. Yeah. Or as Jack LaLanne, who I knew in his later years, used to say, I can't die. It would be bad for business. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, not, that's not on brand. All right. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. I'm going to cast this out. Thank you all for tuning in. That's it. That's all over now. Enjoyed that conversation. Once again, thank you to Ethan Maurice for leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we so greatly appreciate y'all's reviews anywhere you're listening to this. And if you want to share this conversation, you can tag myself at Align Podcast on Instagram. You can also tag Dr. Gundry at Dr. Stephen Gundry. And that is it. That is all. Appreciate y'all. Big kisses. See you next week. <laughs>